0: Good morning. This is Maggie Jones and Natural Wonders. I'm a firm believer that restoration of native plants, no matter what the scale, back porch pots, backyard lawn conversion, acres of old pasture, is something we can all do to make a meaningful difference in the diversity of life around us. It's important because native plants are the homes and food supply for our native insects and all kinds of different animals eat insects, depend on them. Native plant communities are the foundation of what's important, and it's very doable for us to plant natives. With this in mind, I found an article called The Potential of Pastures and Oak Woods by Dan Carter, Ph.D. He's an ecologist with The Prairie Enthusiasts. Dan's bio on the Prairie Enthusiast website says, Dan Carter, Landowner Services Coordinator. Dan is a plant ecologist who has been involved with prairie restoration, reconstruction, management, and protection as an educator, researcher, planner, and volunteer. He has extensive experience in natural area assessment and field botany. Before reading Dan's words, because I think this is such an important subject, the ecosystems that were used to dominate are part of Wisconsin. I'm going to read the Wisconsin DNR website page called Barrens and Savannah Communities of Wisconsin. Both barrens and savannas are plant communities that have a partial tree canopy and open areas dominated by herbaceous vegetation with barrens tending to occur in drier, sandier landscapes. Both types of communities are dependent on fire for their formation and maintenance. Fires have burned in Wisconsin barrens and savannas for thousands of years. Prior to Euro-American settlement, some fires were caused by lightning, others were set by Native Americans to maintain game habitat, drive game, and enhance fruit and berry crops. Historically, behavior of fire was greatly influenced by topography and soil factors. Natural wildfires usually produce a complex mosaic of burned and unburned patches, depending on fire intensity, topography, soil moisture, and local weather. In the absence of fire, that would be us, barrens and savannas proceed through successional stages from more open to closed canopy forests. While barrens range from open to moderately closed, the open condition is now the rarest of the potential successional stages because fire suppression has allowed woody vegetation to take over in most barren communities. Similarly, Oak Savannah now shares equal billing with tallgrass prairie as the most threatened plant community in the Midwest and among the most threatened in the world. Intact examples of oak savanna vegetation are now so rare that less than 500 acres are thought to exist. This is less than one one-hundredth of the estimated five and a half million acres of savanna historically found in Wisconsin. I'll stop there, but there's more on this page. So be sure and check it out if you're interested to learn more about Barrens and Savannah communities of Wisconsin. Also look on the DNR website for descriptions and discussions about oak openings and oak woodlands. And these are all written by Eric Epstein. If you remember some of my earlier programs, the Book of Field has a chapter about Eric and he tells some spellbinding stories about his trips out of field in wisconsin he's a wonderful storyteller so now here is dan carter from the fall of 22 prairie enthusiast newsletter which you can find online in the early days doing landowner visits with the prairie enthusiasts i couldn't help but question whether what i was doing was worthwhile Even where there are fantastic opportunities to restore or steward remnant prairie and other fire-dependent natural communities, capacity to do the work can be difficult to secure. I can point people towards potential cost shares for seeds, brush clearing, or invasive species work. Doing those things well can be tough enough, but for naught without regular frequent fire. I also grappled with the fact that being honest with people about what is needed feels like constantly asking for expensive favors. However, I've come around to a different view. I'm far enough into this now to see people inspired by opportunities to restore health to their land. People have found ways to manage the barriers to doing the work and are clearly charting new courses toward restoring their land. Every remaining fragment represents more populations of species, more precious genetic diversity, and more beauty in the world for just that much longer. There will remain challenges that compromise our ability to rebuild our ecology. However, I believe the work is worthwhile even if longer-term success is sporadic. When resources fall short or where there is no remnant community to save, We can still build community and appreciation for prairie and associated natural communities. The reconstruction of prairie is a process of rebuilding our ties with the land, and it teaches us to better appreciate both what we have lost and what we still can save. Awareness of the deep time represented by the venerable oak buried in the forest or the bedraggled stargrass beneath the buckthorn can elicit real heartache, but it can also build resolve, exercise ethics, and make us more conscious of our place. It is worth it, I believe, to go out into the world and point out the land's history, what species are currently there, and what could be managed for in the future. And that's the end of the newsletter article. And I'll go on to read his piece on the website about the potential of old fields and pastures. This was published online October 4, 2022. If you have an old field that you would like to plant to prairie or a stand of oak you would like to restore, don't rush into it. Understand the history of the land and take time to observe and learn whether anything important remains. Very often, degraded lands still harbor Irreplaceable elements of biodiversity, and these have their own stories to tell about what a place was and could be. The tools we use in restoration can encourage these elements or extinguish them. By recognizing and preserving remnant populations of native species and their genes, we can counteract biotic homogenization And sometimes we can reduce project complexity and expense in the process. Many landowners with prairie planting projects in old fields or retired pastures already have important elements of the biodiversity they're trying to restore, many of which are commercially unavailable. Occasionally, remnant populations of rare plants persist. Even areas that were formerly cultivated often support good prairie, savanna, and oak woodland species that have recolonized from the edges or perhaps a neighboring oak savanna that has since become forest. In many cases, as many desirable native species remain as would be required for a seed mix planted under a cost-share program. I've included a table with upland species often encounters in old fields and pastures. There are many more. It is not uncommon to encounter 5 to 15 of these species in an old field and 10 to 20 of them in a retired pasture. In cases where there are some good things present, start by managing these areas as though they were still prairie. Selectively control encroaching woody vegetation and any patches of broadleaf herbaceous weeds. Burn for a couple of consecutive years during the dormant season to encourage anything good that might be suppressed by the thatch. See what happens and go from there, which will usually mean integrating, interceding, a lot of burning, and patience. Many landowners with wooded ground have land that was once oak woodland, oak savanna or oak barrens. Oak woodlands are conservation worthy and rare, but they are sometimes mistaken for forests or inappropriately treated as savannas or barrens. It's far more common to encounter structurally intact ground layer vegetation in heretofore unrestored woodlands than open savannas. In oak woodlands, Good cover of Pennsylvania sedge or dry spike sedge often remains, and species that tend to favor dappled light versus deep shade or full sun—poke milkweed, pale vetchling, yellow pimpernel, broadleaf panic grass, bearded short husk, purple joe pieweed, weed, Carolina vetch, etc.—are often still present. Where oak woodlands have become shadier, that change has usually been more gradual and less in degree than in savannas. This has allowed more of the woodland vegetation to hang on. Where a low sedgy or grassy ground layer remains, restoration might only involve modest brushwork, removal of non-oak understory hardwoods, non-oak overstory thinning or girdling, restoration of fire, and modest interceding of missing species over time. Savannah restoration is critically important where true opportunities still exist, but good opportunities to restore oak woodland seem to be more common than savanna. If you have an open area of cool-seasoned grass or a, a stand of oak, I encourage you to take a closer look. You might discover there is more opportunity or a different opportunity than you initially thought. If you're looking for cost share, go shopping for assistance that helps to build on what remains. Doing so should result in projects that can serve more community, species, and genetic diversity on the landscape. And Dan Carter goes on to suggest Rich Henderson's presentation, Converting Pasture to Prairie on YouTube is an excellent resource. And I know that people who really know their prairies look up to Rich Henderson and his experience and years and years of work. And on the website, it says it's written by Caleb DeWitt. But in communicating, I learned that Dan Carter is the author. Be sure to look at enthusiast that's plural, dot org. If you're thinking about doing some restoration on your own property, the main message is don't rush into it but start observing what native communities might still be there. In Viroqua in the same building are the offices of Valley Stewardship Network and the Prairie Enthusiasts as well as Community Conservation Inc. Valley Stewardship Network and or the Prairie Enthusiasts can help you find cost-sharing help and help you with planning. So take advantage of the local expertise we have. I wanted to mention that there are a couple of interesting places to go to search for the original surveyor's notes for your personal property. You can Google original land surveyor's notes, Wisconsin. It's helpful when you do the surveyor search to have your township and range and specifics on where your land is. I always go to the plat book for that. Another search to do would be to look for the map of the early vegetation of Wisconsin. So the search words would be map early vegetation Wisconsin. Dan's comments about that map were interesting. Dan said the mid-1800s vegetation maps of Wisconsin are useful for overview, but they vastly underestimate oak savanna and woodland. Because the resolution is coarse, they are developed from the original land survey notes. And since those notes are digitized, I go to that as my primary source when I look at individual properties. A lot of land mapped as mixed hardwood forest was a mosaic of forest and savanna on a finer scale. I want to say personally that that early vegetation of Wisconsin map had a huge impact on me. Uh, when I first saw it, I was stunned at how different the landscape was many years ago before we got here, especially look at the uh, Kickapoo River and the characteristics of the forests on the east side of the river and on the west side where fire dominated. Oaks are much more prevalent along the west side of the Kickapoo, and you can still see that today if you go out in early spring when the trees are leafing out. The maples are leafing out ahead of the oaks. It's really something to see. It's all changing now, but it was a major factor. The Kickapoo was to where fire would be broken by the Kickapoo, and beavers would have had a lot to do with the expanse of wetlands in the Kickapoo River bottoms. Those wetlands are mostly farmland now, but the beavers and their dams and the ponds and the more extensive wetlands back then would have really brought a halt to a lot of fires raging across with the west winds from the Mississippi River. So there's a lot to learn about your own property and the history of that property and the plant communities that were historically right there. This is Maggie Jones and Natural Wonders, and thanks for listening.